series. In this series, we are going to uh, examine some of the unexpected backstory leading to the birth of Jesus. And although the Messiah uh, was expected for centuries, there's much surrounding the story of Jesus that was completely unexpected. And what we will discover is that uh, Jesus' story is full of some unexpected characters, um, which, hence the title of, of this message, Unexpected Family. And I'd bet, certainly, uh, all of us, if we were able to dig deep enough into our uh, family history, we would find some interesting stories, some interesting characters. Um, and in fact, uh, I, I bet some of you have even used some of these services, right? Like Ancestry.com and 23andMe, and you've probably tried to uh, uncover some uh, missing gaps or maybe, uh, or maybe a, a celebrity or, or two. And for example, I don't have to go very far back into my family history to tell you about the legendary heavyweight prize fighter, Hall of Famer, Rocky Marciano. Now, I know there's some sports people in here who know who Rocky Marciano is. Uh, a quick search on the internet will tell you that this champion fighter of the 1940s and 50s has the prestigious honor of being the only heavyweight boxer to retire undefeated. 49-0, 43 KOs between 1947 and in 1955. Here's what uh, the internet won't tell you. What the internet won't tell you is in an amateur military boxing match, Rocky Marciano got his clock cleaned by my great uncle, Junior Winky. <laughs> right there, yeah, that's right. <laughs> my great uncle, a Junior, was in the Army, fought in World War II in the Pacific theater. If you know your history, you know, you know that was a, a brutal place to be. And for a time, he was stationed not too far from here, actually, in Fort Lewis in Washington State, where he took on Rocky Marciano in, uh, as an amateur in an unofficial, if you will, army bout. Now, my grandmother, his uh, younger sister, recalls a story. She was a young school girl, um, and, and shortly receiving the news back in Homer, Illinois, her and, her and her younger brother Morris were targeted by some bullies in town. And in, in her account, she mustered up the courage and said, well, you better watch it, because our big brother, Junior, just walloped Mr. Marciano, and when he comes home, he's going to wallop you too. And guess what? That, that kind of that ended that. So I, I'm sure we all have some interesting stories connected to our family tree. Some heroic, uh, noble accounts, and certainly some maybe cowardice or shameful ones as well. And so, Pastor, what, what's the point? Well, Jesus has a family tree as well. And Jesus' family lineage has been recorded for us in history. But unlike ours, the genealogy of Jesus is the inspired, inerrant, infallible word of Almighty God, which means God has something for us to learn. And so here's the big idea. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach, including the genealogy of Jesus. And this family tree has some good news for us indeed. And I know what you're thinking, uh, those that have your Bible plans and you're in your Bibles, and what happens when we get to these genealogy passages? What, what do we do? We 
we maybe read past them as fast as we can, uh, mumbling the, 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 the names, or, or maybe we skip it altogether, or maybe, uh, I, I can't lie, I've done this, I, I've, maybe I listen to it on my Bible app as I'm trying to fall asleep. Has anybody done that? <laughs> okay, I, I know, but again, 2 Timothy 3.16 declares that all Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach. And so let's open our Bibles. We're going to open our Bibles to this uh, uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, and look at this scripture. Let's look at it now. Uh, A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. A record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, if we were to continue reading through verse 17, Matthew continues the the genealogy through 42 uh, generations from Abraham to Jesus. And a few names would jump off the page at you, like Abraham and Isaac and and Jacob and Boaz and maybe Rahab and, and Ruth and, of course, King David. Then there would be several names that maybe sounded familiar if you've been in your Bibles, but honestly would be hard to place and even harder for most of us to pronounce. For the sake of our time together, we are going to stick with this condensed version uh, of genealogy that Matthew opens up with. And I think you will find it at least interesting, if not surprising, at what we can uncover today. A few few noteworthy things. For starters, this is the first of the four Gospels. And it, it starts with the genealogy. And again, if you've been reading through your Bible, if you've been maybe on a chronological plan and you've kind of you've made it through some genealogies and you get to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, and you're kind of excited, okay, now we're, we're going to get into Jesus. And it, and it starts with a genealogy. You're like, I mean, let's be honest, it's kind of a bummer. I don't know if you remember, if you're old enough or if you watch old movies, okay, old movies used to start with the credits. You guys remember that, right? They used to start with the credits. It's like, you're like, come on, let's Let's get on with it. And do you know the first movie to buck that tradition? Who knows it? Now, I, I think if my, I've got my facts straight, it was actually Star Wars. And we all know how Star Wars starts, right? How does Star Wars start? A long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. We can be thankful that the story of our Savior and King does not start with a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, although that would be kind of cool, I guess. In other words, we can be thankful that the story of Jesus does not start with once upon a time. Friends, this is no Jewish fairy tale. And this should embolden our faith. Christians, we do live by faith, but it's not blind faith. We value truth, and if this is a fairy tale, I and, and, and you should have no interest in believing it. To know that the life of Jesus, the story of his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, is grounded in real time, in real history, woven through the lives of real people and real places, places that you can actually go visit today. In fact, uh, Pastor Brian Dwyer and his family just returned from one of those places. Well, this, this should embolden our faith. This should bolster our confidence, no doubt. No doubt. Now, from Matthew's perspective, Matthew, who is believed to be the author of the book of Matthew, Matthew dives right into the genealogy of Jesus, very possibly because we were not 
Matthew's main audience. Uh, Matthew's main audience probably had an attention span over three seconds also. That might be another reason. (laughs) But remember, Christianity started as a Jewish religion among Jewish people. And you see, although we tend to gloss over the genealogies, Matthew knew that his Jewish audience would be paying close attention. He knew that if he was unable to show that the Messiah was from the lineage of King David, as the prophets of the Jewish scriptures foretold, Jewish scriptures being our Old Testament, he knew that, well, if he couldn't prove that, if he couldn't show that, then this, this good news about Jesus being this, the Messiah would, would arrive, uh, would be dead on, on arrival. So Matthew cuts right to the chase. In fact, since there is nothing new under the sun, I think Matthew knew that his Jewish read- readers disliked trudging through the genealogy as much as we do. So this is why he starts with a Cliff Notes version of the genealogy, right in verse 1 here, a record of the genealogy of, of Jesus, of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And we all know what Cliff Notes are, right? Cliff Notes are a brief summary of a larger story that, that captures the main point. And in fact, just from this short Cliff Note version, Matthew pulls the main thread of the entire Bible. And so here's something else that you may not have expected. The ancestry ancestry line of Jesus shows us the storyline of the whole Bible. You see, the Bible teaches us lots of things, but the overarching storyline is God himself. The storyline of the Bible is one of God revealing his holy character to us. And he does this by ultimately becoming a man on a mission, the God-man, Jesus Christ, on a mission to seek and save the lost by dying a criminal's death on a cross. Unexpected, for sure. So therefore, the storyline of the Bible is all about Jesus. Through the genealogy of Jesus, God's gracious plan of salvation was brought to fruition. God enters the world through the very lives of those he created. That's just an amazing thing to even try to wrap your head around. And it all started with a name at the bottom of all of our family tree, and that's Adam. Let's take a look in Genesis 3.15, I guess through 15. Uh, That obviously is a typo. Uh, Okay, so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, Cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, Adam was not mentioned in that uh, a cliff note version of, of Matthew's genealogy to start uh, chapter 1 there. But like we understand that Adam holds up our family tree as, tree as the first human, this would not have been missed with Matthew's audience either. So, so backstory: Satan has just deceived Eve. Adam eats the fruit. Sin enters the world. Adam blames God, really, Eve blames a certain, the, the serpent, and God is not happy. So God pronounces, makes a proclamation and a promise of judgment on Satan to come through the offspring 
of the, of the woman. And this is kind of like my grandma Lois, my, my nana. Now, I know some of you, calls, you call your grandmas nanas, and you, you just, you're just saying it wrong. It's nana, not nana, okay? This would be like my, grand, my nana, my nana, my nana saying, Junior is, coming, Junior is coming home, and he's going to deliver a wallop. And I guess this would be like where, where nana is God the father, my uncle Junior is God the son, and well, forget it. They would never use the word wallop anyway. Okay, I know, I get it. It's a, it's a big stretch. Uh, but in fact, God is promising a cosmic beatdown is on the way. You see, a promised son is coming, and yes, he may take some blows, but the final blow will fall on Satan's head, ending his wicked scheme once and for all. So again, even as we look at this super condensed genealogy that Matthew offers us, we can see God's faithfulness to pass the baton of his promise to bring a son that will deal uh, a deadly blow to Satan. And, and so let's continue to follow this, this theme through Abraham and, and David now. I will make, this, this is uh, God speaking to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation, I will bless you and make you famous and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. Abraham, through your offspring, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And now uh, this is uh, uh, God speaking through the prophet uh, uh, Nathan to, to David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will rise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So, so this, um, this is a hallelujah. Satan, your wicked deception may have brought death into the world, but a day is coming when the offspring of David, David, a man after God's own heart, will defeat death to establish and rule over a kingdom of righteousness forever for eternity. Now, most of us know David's story, a shepherd boy who defeated the giant Goliath with a, a sling and a stone, who then goes on to be the special anointed and beloved king of Israel. And then while he is king, David orchestrates a scandalous cover-up to have the husband of the woman he is committing adultery and happens to be pregnant with murdered. He, he has her husband murdered. Now, okay, wait a minute. This, this is David. This is King David, a man after God's own heart. And well, here's something else unexpected that we learn from the genealogy. God invites sinners to be part of his story. So let's take a brief look at the shenanigans of, of some of these guys that are in Jesus' genealogy. And just to drive this, this point home, we're going to expand uh, to include a few more names that you might recognize, starting with Noah. You remember Noah. If you haven't read about it, you can read about it in Genesis chapter 9. Noah, uh, he faithfully, uh, obediently builds the ark. God rescues him and his family. Um, the, the flood comes, the water recedes, and Noah decides, you know what? I'm going to get hammered. And, and he, he gets shamefully drunk. How about um, Abraham? Abraham tells his wife to lie that she was his sister, not his wife. And this one is a real doozy. Uh, Abraham uh, 
feels like his life might be in danger, so he decides, well, uh, you know what, what we can do? Let me throw my wife under the bus, and he uh, essentially offers her to the Egyptians to become of, I guess, uh, Pharaoh's uh, harem, and, and this uh, protects his, to protect his own rear end. And then his son, Isaac, Isaac lies to Abimelech about his wife, Rebekah, and he basically takes the playbook right from his dad and, and does the same thing, says that Rebekah is his sister. And then we have Jacob. Jacob Jacob stole his brother's birthright and blessing in Genesis chapter 27. And, and Jacob is a, a, a conniver, uh, a manipulator. And then we have David, of course, who committed adultery and murder. And then Adam, obviously, who, who got this whole mess going in the first place. You know, uh, let me tell you a little bit about my story. This, this, this brings me back to the first time I read through the Bible. And I remember wrestling with some of these stories. And, and what I've come to know now is I had a very Sunday, uh, Sunday school, kids' church, if you will, understanding. In other words, I knew the PG version uh, of these men's lives. And in hindsight, I think it actually uh, contributed to a false gospel in my own mind, which basically went like this. God is good. I got that part. God is good. He uses good people. Therefore, if we want to be valuable to God, if we want to be used by God, if we want to be on God's good side, we need to be good people too. And let me tell you something, friends. I was failing miserably. So I I knew that I was in trouble. And then I I thought about it for a minute, and I said, wait, wait, okay, wait. If God used these guys, maybe there's hope for me. Maybe God can use me. So I kept turning the pages of of Scripture, and you know what I discovered? One, One obvious reason God invites sinners to be part of his story is that, friends, unfortunately, he's got no other option. Let me read to you uh, in Romans. Uh, This is Paul actually quoting back from the New Testament, Romans chapter 3. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Sin has left mankind in a sorry state with no hope, zero hope of redemption in and of ourselves. So simply, I came to understand that God invites sinners to be part of his story based on who he is, based on his good pleasure, not based on our performance, based on his faithfulness and and mercy and grace and love, not based on our merit. So if you can humbly admit you're a sinner in need of a Savior, I've got good news for you this morning. You qualify to be part of God's story. None is righteous, no, not one. Although there is one truly righteous man who no one can claim any dirt on, and that's the God-man, Jesus Christ. Which brings us to our, our final point. People get to join the family of God because he became a man. People get to join the family of God because he became a man. Maybe this is something you have wondered about before. Why did God become a man? Well, the the simplest reason is because he loves us, but here's a more technical one. 
So let's, let's think about this together. Why, did Je- why didn't Jesus simply float down from a cloud as, as a fully God, the second person of the Godhead, and take care of business and make things right? Why did he condescend and put himself through uh, all this becoming a man business? Well, the Bible declares that we have all sinned and the wages of sin is death. Romans 3.23. Oh, no, actually, uh, Romans 3.23 is, is um, um, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23 is, um, and the wages of, of, of sin is death. So we, we, that's what we've earned is death with our sin. So who owes God a death? Does, does God owe God a death? No. Man owes God a death. So God became a man to make the payment on our behalf. In other words, Jesus needed to be fully man to pay the death penalty that mankind owes. Jesus also needed to be fully God to satisfy the requirements for a perfect sacrifice that God's righteous justice demanded and that sinners like us could not provide. Let's take a look at this scripture together. A couple of them. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then down to verse 12. But to all who believed, to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Like, like I mentioned, if you're a sinner, you qualify to be part of God's story. But please hear me. God cannot accept sinners into his kingdom. He can only accept forgiven sinners, those who have a new identity, not as sinners, but as children of God. So the question is, are you ready to become a forgiven sinner? Are you willing to turn from your sin and join God's family by grace through faith in Jesus Christ? God himself entered into our genealogy Jesus, who has existed from eternity past, joined our family tree so that we could join his. And you may ask, well, how how is this possible? How can we become part of God's family? It's very simple. The answer is believe. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Believe he became a man, born in a manger some 2,000 years ago, 2,000 Christmases ago, to pay your sin debt. Believe that he defeated Satan and the grave because he never sinned, and so the grave had no claim on him. Accept the gift of forgiveness as you turn from your sin to follow Jesus. 
and become a child of the living God, a new creation adopted into his eternal family and everlasting kingdom. One final thought. For those of us who have believed, accepted God's forgiveness, and become children of God, for those of us who are Christians, we are now part of his story, part of his family tree. Just as God carried his promise of redemption forward through the genealogy leading to Christ, leading to Christ to the cross, we now carry the same promises in us. God, the Holy Spirit, resides in us that we would point people back to the cross. So if my Nana could muster the courage to speak boldly, knowing her big brother Junior was on the way, how much more, church, should we speak boldly into the present darkness, knowing the God of angel armies resides within us, goes before us, and yes, he is on his way.